Hey everyone, it's Steph Copley here with Elisa Woods, and you're listening to a special edition of the Title IX podcast because we are joined by the one and only Holly Rowe. Hi, Holly. Hey, ladies, how are you? We're happy you're here. <laughs> We're really this is happy. awesome. I am too. This is going to be so fun. Well, I have to tell you, well, first of all, I'm Steph and Elisa's with us. Say hi, Elisa. Hey. <laughs> we Cyclone fans just adore you. Uh, we joke about Fran Priscilla being able to run for the mayor of Ames, but honestly, I think you could give him a run for his money. <laughs> I really like think it would be, we could be on the ballot together. We've worked here for, <laughs> together for so long. It's good. That's true. You guys could run a nice little platform, but that's the funny thing about Cyclone fans is we're either fiercely loyal to the people who support us like you and Fran, but we also get really mad at people who we perceive to have slighted us. Uh, Lisa and I were talking, we have a phrase Cyclone versus the world, because I think it feels that way sometimes, you know, when we, you know, when we experience success, especially the football team, we sometimes as fans feel like we get questioned or doubted. So Elisa and I just want to know right out of the gates, you know, we have our perception of what the national media thinks of us, but tell us what does the national media actually think of Iowa state football? Well, I think Iowa state football is the media darling right now, to be perfectly honest with you. I think the come up story is like the stuff of legends. This is a program that has really struggled for a long time you know, th there were some good, there were some good teams back when I first started covering college football. Um, when Dan McCarney was here, I remember coming here and doing games when they were good and then they hit a bit of a lull. And I just think it's really exciting how people have bought into Matt Campbell. I remember doing a game here. I was actually doing a cyclone game in Hilton for men's basketball when Matt Campbell got hired and he came in the gym and I remember saying to him, if you played at Mount Union, you're my kind of guy, because I covered Mount Union a lot when I was early in my career. And so I feel like in some ways, like I've been here from the very first step of this rebuild and it's really exciting, but I think other people outside of this area love the story and, and are buying into it. And so now that I think the biggest question is, can they capitalize on the you know, is the, is the story tell uh, the story ending going to be a fairy tale or a nightmare? That's, that's the question. <laughs> Trust us. We, we stay up at night thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about this matchup, this top 10 matchup that you get to cover on Saturday? What has you most excited? Yeah, it's really interesting. So the, the thing that has me most excited is I like the experience of Iowa state and I actually got to go, I've been on this little Holly road road trip. I drove out to, I flew into Des Moines at midnight Tuesday night. So I could get to football practice in Iowa city at Iowa at eight 40 AM on Wednesday morning, they practice in the mornings, which is really interesting to me. So I was able to see Iowa up close and personal and get a feel for how good their personnel looks. And then I will go to Iowa state's practice this afternoon. So I kind of want to reserve some of my comments for the, after I've seen them in person, because I, I truly believe, you know, the media can fall in love with stats. We can fall in love with teams on paper, but until I see how big a guy is or how he moves, you know, that always changes my perception of a game. So for example, I had Clemson, Georgia last weekend. And the second I went to Georgia practice and saw the size of their nose tackle, uh, Jordan Davis and their defensive front, I just knew how that game was going to go. And that's exactly how that game went. So um, I think it's really important 
for, you know, to lay eyes on players. So I guess that's why I'm tap dancing a little bit is I haven't seen Iowa state in person yet. And that that's going to matter to me. I know what Brock Purdy can do. I've watched so many of their games last year, you know, including the big 12 championship game. I know who Brees Hall is. I know what he can do, but I want to see the the offensive and defensive fronts. I want to see some of these guys in person first. I think that that's really interesting that you say that because there were rumblings that um, the the coach for you and I wasn't very happy with our game plan this last week when we played them because it was a very vanilla game plan. It was just, you know, we're going to go out there and do the least to beat this team that we can. And that's what, it, that's what we're hoping that that was, you know, we're hoping that that's not the true Iowa state team. Um, but I just think that it's really interesting that like, you're looking forward to seeing them in person, you know, seeing how big they are, seeing how they practice, because hopefully that that game last weekend wasn't exactly how we're going to play. And we're going to pull out a few more stops here in this week. Well, I definitely think coaches leave things back. So to me, the way that Iowa state schedule lays out this year, for them to really be nationally relevant. And I don't mean just get back to the big 12 championship game. I mean, be nationally relevant. They have to beat Iowa and, and, you know, we could dance around it, but to me, their season can hinge in many ways on, on this game. So I do think coaches are going to leave things out of the, out of the game plan and save things and not show things. I had someone at Iowa practice yesterday say, yeah, I don't feel like we showed a lot in that game. I think both, both teams did that. Yeah. Because you don't want to put on film things that are going to help your opponent week two. If you can get through a game. Now I think Iowa had a little bit more of a challenge, even though their score was better, you know, Indiana is a really good football team and that, that game could have been more difficult for Iowa, but they had the benefit of two pick sixes to help pad their score. But yeah, for sure. I, I don't think we saw everything from Iowa state for one, but number two, Iowa state has gotten off to slow starts the last couple of years. Like we keep hyping them up and we're like, Oh, they're going to, this team is really good. And we believe that. And by the end of the season, they are really good, but they have struggled out of the gate the last couple of years. Oh, yeah, we, we know need, that <laughs> <laughs> we need that to change this year. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with you, Holly preaching to choir. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Well, on our podcast, we try our best to devote as much time we can to empowering women, lifting women up and focusing on female athletes. You've done that your entire career. And I guess I'm just wondering, did you go into your career with that goal or was it something that happened organically over time? I think it happened organically over time. Early in my career, I noticed that women were not getting coverage and some of it was selfish is, you know, like there were already men doing all of the jobs in the male sports. Right. And I had started out thinking I wanted to do more play by play and, you know, like be this really versatile announcer. And there were no women doing, um, play by play at that time. So I remember doing a, I I did what's called a time buys where I went to a radio station in Salt Lake city, Utah and bought two hours of time on the radio station And then I went out and sold the advertising myself and I put the university of Utah women's basketball game against BYU on the radio. And now as I, and, and and part of that was selfish that I got to do the play by play and I was creating an opportunity for myself. But then part of it was these women deserve to be on. I mean, this was in the nineties, which is late for women to be on the radio, you know, across the country. So I'm really proud. I did the very first, I think it was the very first women's broadcast of Utah and BYU women's basketball. 
And from that point on, I figured that out and I would, I would do time buys and I would um, get games on. And one, I created opportunity for myself, but then these women got, got airtime. And I remember doing a game when Cheryl Swoops came and played Texas tech played at the university of Utah and Utah beat them the year that Texas tech won the national championship. And, you know, we had some really epic, epic games. And I, I even did that one year, um, when BYU played here in the NCAA tournament, I feel like that was like maybe in 1999 or maybe 2000, but I, I just fell in love with covering women's sports. You know, obviously I'm a frustrated athlete. I'm five, three chubby <laughs> lady that in my brain, I should have been an Olympic athlete. Um, so I think I admire female athletes so much that that's part of it too. And I have just loved covering women. You know, I've, I haven't thought about this until recently, but there's a lot of people in my business and particularly women that when they, they come up through the business and they're covering the women's tournament or they're doing volleyball or they're doing this and that, well, then they make it big and they stop doing women's sports. Mm -hmm. And that has always really bothered me because that's inferring that the big time isn't with the women. And so I'm really proud as I look back on my career that I have literally killed myself to stay working on women's sports. Even as I ascend in the other areas, I stay working women's sports. So for example, I did Georgia Clemson football last night or last week, get back to my hotel room at 1 a.m. I'm on a flight at 6 a.m. the next morning to go do a WNBA game at two o'clock local in Chicago because it matters to me to be on those games. So I, I'm willing to sacrifice personally to stay on women's sports. And I think it's cool as I look back at my career. Yeah, I think honestly, like that makes me think about like um, Jessica Mendoza when she went and did um, softball with the Olympics. Like it's so important to remember that like what's truly important to us and to lift up the other women in that way. And it, I like almost just had an aha moment because so much of the time I think like, oh, these opportunities, there aren't opportunities for us. No one's opening the door for us. You know, no one's recognizing what we're doing. No one's, you know, lifting us up. These men aren't doing this and that, but reality is that there are opportunities for me to create opportunities for myself. And those are the things that I need to go out and, and focus on doing. And I think that that's really cool that that's, that's your story. Yeah. Young people come up to me all the time and they're like, how can I get into the business? And I'm like, well, you're not going to break in doing college football. And so you've got to figure out in your mind, like, Hey, how can, what, what other sports can I work? What other sports need attention? And I'm constantly challenging them like, Hey, are you covering your women's basketball team? Are you covering women's volleyball? Are you covering softball? Like I don't see young local reporters going out and covering these women's sports that are really big time. Like I I'm here in Ames and you know, I did Iowa state women's basketball last year in the NCAA tournament, and they have a heck of a great team here. <laughs> uh, Bill Fennelly, I'm going to go out and visit them at practice, uh, hopefully today or tomorrow. And like, if I was a young reporter trying to come up in Ames right now, I would be so invested in this women's basketball program. Softball had a historic year last year, getting ranked for the first time ever in the top 25 for Iowa state softball. I would be out doing every feature story, you know, whatever for softball. So I do think that there's opportunities. Um, it's not always on the top sports, but I feel like make this sport, the top sport for yourself. You know, like I think softball is a sport that not a lot of people were doing. Not a lot of people cared about 20 years ago. And I started doing softball and I feel like we have helped build and create 
what is now one of the fastest rising, most popular sports for ESPN. And we've done it as a labor of love and the sport has never been more popular. And I'm really proud of that. Like make the big time where you are covering these sports. And it's really cool, Holly, because Elisa and I both have young daughters. And when they see people like you on TV or see, um, you know, uh, female um, officials, they notice those things. So not only is it um, important for people in the industry, but representation matters for the young fans growing up, too. Yeah, I love that term. So I, I'm learning a lot about that. And it's not something I had thought about much in my lifetime, but that term representation. So we had some conversations around the women's NCAA tournament this year about, you know, we had two black female head coaches in the, the championship game with Adia Barnes and, um, or excuse me, in the semifinals, in the final four with Adia Barnes and Don Staley. And and we were talking about, we have to have representation on our broadcast of what these teams look like and what these head coaches look like. Little girls that look like them need to feel like they are represented in this. And it, it takes planning. It takes organization. It takes being thoughtful about that. And so I, I think that term well, it sounds like this kind of, um, you know, like fancy term of what we're doing societally right now. It's actually just, I need people who look like me to be seen doing great things. So I know it's possible for me to do great things. And that's what you're talking about. Your little girls, you, they need to see women doing these things. So they think, Oh, I can grow up and do that someday. You know, that's, that's basically what we're trying to provide for young people. I just want you to know that um, I'm a really good slopish softball player. I just feel like nice. this, is a, this is a good time to um, put that in there. Nice. I am too. I, yeah. I am a great hitter. I am a fantastic hitter and I'm really fast on the base pass. So, I mean, if we need to pick up game here or there, I'm up for it. I'm very yeah, you can call slow. us anytime. <laughs> I'm slow on the base pass, but yes heck yes <laughs> let's take a quick break and then um when we come back we want to pick your brain a little bit about the WNBA bubble if that's okay oh yeah sure okay so we're here with holly Rowe. we're very excited to have her on this special edition of title nine and holly last year when the pandemic hit we lost sports but that's your livelihood that's your career so how did you how did you manage those first couple of weeks where we didn't know what was going to happen I would say I didn't manage them very well. I was a psychotic <laughs> mess because so this is such a weird story. So, you know, I had cancer a few years ago, about four years ago, I started dealing with cancer and I had a moment in the doctor's office one time where he said, you need to start thinking about how you're spending your time. Oh, wow. And at that time, that was his really nice way of saying, we're not sure if you're going to make it right now. Jeez. And so that night I went home and I sat on my couch and I closed my eyes and I just tried to imagine like what I would want my life to look like if this was the end of my life. And I realized I was doing it is I wanted to spend time with my son and my family. And I wanted to go to games sports because I'm obsessed with sports. And like on my off days, I go to sports, I, I go to games, you know, like I'm, I don't know why. And I just don't know if it's normal, but I am obsessed with sports. So when I was at the big 12 tournament last year, I remember standing on the court and Texas and Texas tech were supposed to be playing and the players came out and started warming up. And then they told us, um, it's over. It, it, the tournament's canceled. And I went home and then the women's final four got in you know, the women's NCAA tournament got canceled. So the weekend of the, that was supposed to be the women's final four, 
Um, I, I was like literally depressed where I was concerned about myself. Like we should be there covering Oregon versus South Carolina or Baylor versus South Carolina right now. You know, like I was just wrecked and I realized I have no balance in my life. And all I do is worry about sports. And it was sobering. Like, uh, I, I was like, you need to, you need to branch out, girl. You got nothing going on in your life except mm-hmm. for sports but that's how I like it. So I had a really hard time because sports was gone and I didn't know who I was anymore. And that's, that's the real truth. I mean, Elisa and I have talked about this at great length. That's how we felt as well. We really struggled with that, but go ahead, Elisa. Yeah. I, I kind of had a similar moment when I like, I lost my job last year. So I worked in the ticket office of of the arena here in Des Moines and I lost my job and, and in that like lost, everything that I thought that had value in my life, like everything that I was doing that I thought was valuable was now like they didn't need me. And so I kind of had that same moment where I was like, okay, I need to reassess like what is important to me. Um, sports, obviously (laughs) like this (laughs) podcast really got me through, um, the bubble, the WNBA bubble. I was, I was hooked to those games and I was hooked to, I mean, anything on YouTube that people made about the bubble or the WNBA bubble. I was there. I was Matisse Bible's, you know, biggest fan. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, it's crazy because so we, we had no sports for gosh, almost four months, close to five months. And I was at home on, I think it was on July 15th last year. So we went from March to July. I'm bad at math, whatever that was without, you know, really working at events. And they called me at noon on July 15th and said, you have to report by tonight at 8 PM into the WNBA bubble and you'll be there for three months. Wow. And so I spent $700 at well, you know, cause when they said bubble, I didn't know, like, will I be, I can't go out to the store. So I spent $700 at Walgreens, um, just trying to get like shampoo, you know, all the kind of stuff like that, toothpaste, whatever. And that night I reported to the bubble and I never left until, uh, I think October 10th or 12th. Wow. And it was crazy, but I was willing to do all of it. And it was, I would say it's probably going to go down as maybe the most important, amazing experience of my career. And also the most difficult. I was in one hotel room for 87, 90 days and I, like, I lost my brain. Like I lost it. You, you just felt like you were going crazy at times, but the women were incredible. The games were incredible. And I just grew with so much respect for these female athletes. There were moms there that had their children with them and they have to go play in a game. And then they come right out and take care of their kids. And, um, it was really hard and heavy lifting for these women. They were playing every other day. And I just, like these female athletes, I, I will forever love, appreciate, respect, and hold it down for the women of the WNBA because they are absolute warriors. And I watched it firsthand um, in a very close and personal way last year. And you said it, you said you were willing to do all of it and you quite literally did all of it. I mean, it was you and just you, you're dealing with the stress of the <laughs> pandemic and being stuck there. Then you break your arm on a bike and then yes. you watch the black lives matter movement happening right before your eyes. I mean, what was that like to be a reporter of the games themselves, but also this incredible social justice movement all at once? Gosh, I think I'll cry if I talk about this because it was so beautiful it was just so powerful and hard and beautiful. And, um, 
I, I remember the night that they decided not to play because there had been yet another police shooting of a black person. And these women are crying and they are scared for their brothers and they are scared for their fathers. And they are scared for people that look like them to walk outside and be targeted just because of the color of their skin. Like if you really think about it, it's just so horrific that nobody knows who you are. They don't know your heart. They don't know what an amazing person that you are. They're judging you the second they see you because of your skin color. And that is so horrible. And I just, I just learned that we have to be more loving and supportive. And I, you know, I did a lot of reading and researching and I would get on zoom calls with the WNBA players association. Um, they let me be on a zoom call with mothers of women who have been killed by police. And I'm just going to tell you, this is one of the most gutting experiences of my lifetime to hear these moms who have lost their daughters um, because the police shot and killed them or suffocated them. Uh, there were women who were getting mental wellness checks. There was a woman that was bipolar and she was having an episode and the police came in and restrained her and suffocated her. You know, it, it just, these awful, awful stories of, of women who were killed unnecessarily. And we've never heard them. We'd never heard them before. And I just, I just came out of there realizing that I can't just feel like that I'm not a racist and, and mm -hmm. I don't think I'm a racist and I work not to be racist. But what I realized is I have to come out of there being an anti-racist and helping my, my sisters and my brothers who are different from me and who don't look like me. And I have to be stronger and help and, and fight and yell and say, this isn't right. We're not going to put up with it anymore. And I think, um, I hope all of us can be like that because it's time and that, that moment in time just changed me forever and in a good and beautiful way. I, we're, we're criers, Holly. We I are, know, I'm crying and I'm I sorry. Know. I didn't mean to come on your podcast. No. Right? This is what we do, <laughs> Holly. Yeah. We, we cry. We cry. And I'm sitting okay, here good. listening to you as I can hear my son who is black and white upstairs and my husband who is black. Um, taking care of my son upstairs. And I just think about like the world that my husband has, has lived in for, I don't know how old he is. He's going to kill me 32 <laughs> years. No, he's 32. Um, and the, the world that my son is going to live in, he's one, you know, like the world that he's going to live in. And I think that it's, it's crazy and inspiring to me that sports can be a part of changing that because sports are such a large part of the black culture in this country. And I think that, um, if we, the white people <laughs> involved in sports, you know, the Caucasians of the sports, um, can, can take a lead on it. I think that that's incredible. And I think that what, what you said is great. And I'm going to listen back to it and cry again. <laughs> yeah. Like we have to elevate and support, uh, you know, our fellow human, like that's important. I saw something yesterday that just made my blood boil and I want to tweet about it, but we're not allowed to tweet about political stuff. Girl, we got so you. I, I have to say this though, but I saw something on social media about, um, this legislature, the Senator in Utah talking about how they want to pass a bill not to, to teach critical race theory. And th that whole term just makes me insane because that's something somebody made up to try to make us not want to do it. Right. It's just teaching both sides of history. We should be teaching both sides of history in, in schools. Like what are we even talking about here? But anyway, he 
said, well, you know, we're making the jazz angry. Donovan Mitchell is angry at us that we, we don't want to teach critical race theory. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you uneducated bumpkin, like figure it out, <laughs> read some books uh, and realize that just teaching about, you know, the strength of black people is not going to be bad for anyone. Like I, I was so incensed, but how about that, that Donovan Mitchell of the US, Utah jazz is reaching out to senators in Utah to support teaching kids, both sides of history in school. And I'm like, I love these athletes in this day and age that are willing to put their name and their reputation out on the line to further these discussions. Yeah. Yeah. No more sticking to sports. We're done with that. Yeah. Be leaders, be leaders. I think it's important. I mean, Kyrie Irving is the one that pops into mind when you talk about this. I mean, uh, alongside like the mental health conversation that like Simone and Naomi are having, but like Kyrie is not going to back down and we may paint him as crazy. Some people may think he's nuts, but like he has something to say. And I think that it's, it's pertinent and he's unabashedly going to say it. Yeah, I was actually, so that, that call that I was on, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this because it was kind of a private call, but that call with the mothers who had had daughters killed by the police. So it was part of the play, the NBA and WNBA players association did it, but Kyrie was on there. And at the end he, he was um, emotional and saying to the women, you know, I've got you, my sisters, I've got you, you know, we're in this together. I've got you. And he actually paid the salaries of any WNBA players who sat out for social justice reasons last year. So there were uh, some players that sat out Renee Montgomery, Natasha cloud, a few other people like that, because they wanted to continue their work in the community and Kyrie Irving stepped up and paid their salaries. Like, think about that. Yeah. It's amazing. That is amazing. It's really incredible. Well, Holly, we know that you have lots of things to do and places to get, but can I change gears really quick and ask you what I hope yes. is a fun question? Okay. Yes. We, Elise and I were talking about how we know it can be taboo to talk to women about what they're wearing and how they look, but Elise and I are two diehard sports lovers who also love pretty clothes and pretty accessories. And we just think you look fabulous all the time. So will you tell us where you shop? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So that's hilarious because you're you can expect me to say like, I'm some fancy person, but, um, TJ Maxx is my go-to. She's I a like Maxinista. Maxinista. He didn't, you know, Nordstrom. You more than we do. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big Nordstrom gal. I Dillard's. So I did something this year that in fact, I'm going to wear this for the game is I went and got some really cute dresses from Dillard's. And I took them to a tailor and had her cut them off into shirts, Ooh. you know, cause the top, the top of the dress was much prettier than any blouses that I had seen. And so I, I got creative this year, like, all right, I'm going to just take these dresses and make them football friendly. So I, I got them tailored. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. So I have a really cute, like Ralph Lauren blouse that I'm going to wear Saturday, but that used to be a dress and it's still a little long, but I wanted it to cover my booty. Cause I got a big booty. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason why we love you so much. <laughs> Same. <laughs> well, we just, we can't thank you enough for doing this. And, um, we just, we think the world of you, we think you're such a powerful voice and we appreciate the time that you've taken to speak to us. Um, we know you spoke to some of our friends at that school out East uh, yesterday and you know, I was trying to be neutral. I really was. <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh. Well, if I do one for Iowa state, I better do one for Iowa or I'm going to get in trouble. But I have to be honest with you guys. I love, 
Iowa fans, and by that, I mean people in Iowa, both Iowa State mm. and the Hawkeyes. I've done so many events for both schools throughout the years. And here's what I know. People in Iowa are special and magical and wonderful and kind, just not to each other this weekend. <laughs> During hate week. Yes, yes. Well, if you ever decide to run for office with Fran, we will be your campaign managers, okay? Okay. I don't know that Fran and my politics mesh, so maybe <laughs> I will do my own ticket. Um, I would, I would be a much more progressive ticket, but yes, I've got my campaign managers and we are going to, um, launch a, launch a party that is inclusive. How about that? I think that would be amazing. We're all in. I love it. We're all in. Well, you can find it. Holly every Saturday on ABC's Saturday Night Football. Any given sideline as a reporter and commentator for football, basketball, softball, volleyball, baseball, gymnastics, probably more for ESPN. <laughs> you can follow her as we do on Twitter um, at Sports Siren. Thank you so much to our Twitter friends who relentlessly mentioned you until you agreed to come on. <laughs> Sorry about the harassment, Holly. <laughs> oh my God, it was hilarious. I didn't see it. I didn't see it right away and then your buddy ray cole give ray yes. cole a shout out yes he texted me and was like holly i can vouch for these ladies and i was like what ladies i hadn't seen it yet so then i went in and i looked it up and i was like holy cow there's like an avalanche of people trying to get my attention and i'm so excited so but thank oh. you for caring about me and reaching out like i just want to say thank you to you for women in sports and and, and uplifting women in sports and title nine and thank you guys like it's awesome well, thank you so much. And thanks again to Ray. And thanks to our friends at the Ivy College of Business at Iowa State who allow us to do this every other week. So we're really grateful. We're probably going to get off and cry. So <laughs> perfect. Have fun, perfect. Holly. Thank you so thanks, much. Guys.